how are we doing this morning, everybody? Doing okay? Good? Yep. How do you feel about the snow? Yeah. I woke up this morning, looked out the window, and I was like, <laughs> So anyway, it's cold outside, but it's warm in here, and we're uh, super excited to have you guys with us here at the Medina East Campus. And uh, if you are a guest, if it's your first time here or it's your first time back in a while, maybe you're just rejoining us or if you're catching us on live stream, maybe for the first time, we just want to extend a very, very special welcome to you. Thanks for being with us here at the Medina East Campus. And if you are uh, a guest or you're just joining us, we've actually been in a series now for several weeks uh, that we have been calling The Way of Jesus. And if you're just joining us, basically what we're doing in this series, it's very straightforward. Uh, we are just working our way right through the Gospel of Luke. And so basically uh, what we're doing is we started all the way back at Christmas. And at Christmas, we uh, began with the birth of Jesus. We've been working through the life and the ministry of Jesus through the Gospel of Luke. And all of this series will end on Easter, where we'll look at the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so really, we're just kind of looking at Jesus and, and kind of going through his entire life and his ministry together and just kind of opening our hearts and our minds to what Luke would have to say about, about Jesus. And so that's what we've been doing. And now today, as we're inching closer to Easter, so we're getting uh, closer just a few weeks away from that, uh, as we go through the Gospel of Luke, we are gonna find ourselves in Luke chapter 19. And so I would love to just invite you, just right now, grab your Bible if you got it. Why don't you meet me in Luke chapter 19? And so as we journey through the Gospel of Luke, this is where we're gonna find ourselves, is here in Luke chapter 19. If you... Um, didn't bring a Bible with you, or if you don't uh, have a Bible of your own, you can use one of the Bibles under the chairs, and uh, you'll find Luke 19 on page 852 in those Bibles that we have provided. And if you don't own a physical copy of the Bible, you can feel free to take one of those, make that a gift from us to you. We'd love for you to have that. So Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to head. Now, as you're finding that, I actually thought as a way of teeing up the conversation uh, that we're going to get into here today, I'd ask you a quick icebreaker question. And icebreakers can be hard in a room like this, uh, but if you guys uh, are part of life groups, a lot of our life groups will start with an icebreaker just to break the ice. And so I thought maybe I'd start with a quick icebreaker question. And here it is, a uh, question for you is just, um, what are your plans today? What are your plans today? Very simple. What do you got on the agenda? What do you have going on for the rest of the day? And so why don't you even do this? Why don't you turn to someone next to you, maybe someone you don't know, maybe, and, and just say, share one thing, one thing that you are planning to do today. What's one thing that you have on the, the plans, the agenda? Go ahead, turn to someone next to you and do that. Oh. All right, very good, very good, very good. Sounds like we got a lot of plans out there. Sounds like we got a lot of plants. That's good. I actually heard someone say something about a birthday. Who, who's got the birthday in the room? Happy birthday. Jeez, that's awesome. Happy birthday to you. And uh, so you got, hopefully you got good plans for you. Oh, happy birthday to you too. Apparently the whole first row's birthday. Happy birthday, you guys. So hopefully you have some great plans for your birthday and enjoy it. But uh, that's awesome. So anyway, I don't know what you got on the agenda. Maybe for you, you got lunch plans, or maybe after this, you plan on going out to eat, or maybe you have a gathering with some friends, or maybe for you, you got nothing planned. Maybe a nap is in order this afternoon. Yes, amen to that. And the reason I asked that question, as simple as the icebreaker is, is because I actually want us to think a little bit today about our agenda. It's actually what I want us to think about. And of course, when we use the word agenda, uh, we use it in a few different ways, right, when we talk about that. And so in one sense, you know, if you go to Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, 
uh, you're going to find out that an agenda is a list or outline of things that are to be done. So just like what we talked about, I said, hey, what are you, what's your agenda this afternoon? It's the things that you're planning to get done. It's the things that you're planning to do. It's the to-do list that you might have or whatever. And so in one way, when we use the word agenda, we use it like that. But I think we also know there's a deeper way that we use the word agenda. That's actually the second definition, and that is an underlying, often ideological plan or program. And so uh, when we talk about agenda, I know this can actually be kind of a touchy word, specifically in our society, because for some of us, we think of an ideological plan or an agenda that somebody is pushing, right? So we might think of a political agenda, or we might think of an activist group that, that is pushing a certain agenda, or we might think of even a religious agenda that someone might have. And here's, here's why I think it's important for us to think about this, is because all of us, I think, you know, whether we know it or not, or whether we're even aware of it or not, I think we all have an agenda. We do. We have the plans that we make, and then we kind of have the underlying idea or ideological program that's underneath those plans, right? We have, basically, you can put it this way, we have a goal or a mission that drives the plans and the agendas that we make. We all have that. In fact, even if you're a person in this room and you would say, I don't have an agenda, my agenda is that I have no agenda, even that in some ways is kind of an agenda, right? And so we all sort of have an agenda. We have the plans that we make, and then we have the philosophy or the ideology or the way, the, the, the way that we view things that pushes uh, the plans that we make. And the reason I bring all that up is because here today, I believe the passage we're gonna look at today, Luke chapter 19, verses one to 10, I think in it, we're going to get, gain incredible clarity on the agenda of Jesus Christ. And so what was Jesus's agenda? When, when Jesus was on this planet, when he was doing his ministry, what was it that drove him to make the plans that he made? What was it that caused him to decide to do one thing over the other? What was it that caused him to say, we're gonna do this this afternoon and not that? What was the ideology that was underneath his thinking in those things? What was his agenda? And I actually think that as complicated of a question as that is, because it is kind of complex, I think that Luke chapter 19 is actually gonna shed a lot of light and give a lot of clarity on the agenda of Jesus. And consequently, for those of us who follow Jesus, and I know that's not everyone in this room, I think it gives a lot of clarity into the agenda that he's inviting us into as well. And so the passage we're gonna look at is, like I said, it's Luke chapter 19, verses one to 10. And this passage is actually a very, very famous passage because we are going to see Jesus interacting with a man named Zacchaeus. Okay, so this is a story about Zacchaeus. And the reason I have to bring this up before we read it is because I know that Zacchaeus is maybe one of the most famous Sunday school lesson stories of all time. And for some of you who grew up in the church or around the church, the whole time we're reading this, you're gonna have that song going on in the back of your mind. And so I figured, can, let's, can we just get it out of the way? Can we just sing it right now? So let's just do it, all right? So here, I, I, I'm not a song leader, but I'm gonna try my best. So for those of you guys who know it, ready? Zacchaeus was a man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he does to see. I don't know any, that's as far as I go. That's as far as I go. So I actually didn't grow up going to Sunday school, so I'm not entirely sure how the song goes. But, but here's the point that I'm trying to make. As, as much as this story is, is really a well-known children's Bible story lesson, my hope today is that as we read it, that we would not trivialize this story. It is a very powerful story that makes an incredibly powerful point 
about the agenda of Jesus Christ. In fact, I wanna draw your attention before we read the whole thing to the last statement that Jesus says after his interaction with Zacchaeus. If you look at verse 10, this is what Jesus says in summary after his encounter with Zacchaeus. He says, for the son of man, which by the way, is a way that Jesus would would refer to himself, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Now, I want you to understand that this verse is incredibly significant. In fact, if you're someone who's taken notes or you have those Luke journals that uh, many of us have, can you underline this verse? I would encourage you to do that. Circle it, star it, highlight it, draw attention to it in some way, and here's why. This verse, Bible commentators and scholars will all agree, is the theme verse of the entire Gospel of Luke. And so as we've been studying the Gospel of Luke over several weeks, if you could summarize what is the core message What is the central point that Luke is trying to communicate to us about Jesus Christ? Commentators and Bible scholars will say, it's this right here. It's that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In fact, if I could even take it a step further, I would say this. I think Luke wants us to know that it is impossible for us to accurately understand Jesus, to accurately understand and interpret his actions apart from this reality right here, that the Son of Man has come, his agenda is to seek and to save that which is lost. In fact, I might even take it a step further. I think for those of us who follow Jesus, and again, I know that's not everybody, I don't think it's possible for us to understand our purpose as a church, as his followers, apart from this reality here, that not only was this Jesus's agenda while he was on this earth doing his ministry, but it continues to be his agenda today. He is still seeking and saving the lost. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. And so because this is such an important verse, because this is the theme verse of all of the gospel of Luke, I simply wanna spend our time really just doing two things. I wanna think about, okay, if that's what the son of man came to do, what does that mean? What does that mean and how does that look? And then secondly, what does that mean for us? What are the implications of this reality? So I just wanna spend our whole time thinking about that. And I think that this story, Jesus's interaction with Zacchaeus is really gonna shed a lot of light on both those things. So let's start, we're gonna start off in verse one. So Luke 19, verse one, and the Bible starts this way. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through. All right, so let me just hit pause there for a minute. And uh, as simple as this sentence might seem, I believe it's loaded with a lot of really important information that actually helps clarify the interaction that Jesus is about to have. So I want you to notice, first off, the Bible's gonna tell us the place where Jesus was, that Jesus entered into a place called Jericho. That's what the Bible says. Now, uh, Jericho, it actually was a very, very famous and important Jewish city. Uh, in the Old Testament, it was known for a lot of incredible events that happened in Jericho. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you might remember some of those things. In Jesus's time, the thing that Jericho was maybe the most known for, it actually was known as a town that hosted and housed uh, many, many, many priests. And so Jerusalem, which is not very far from Jericho, the, had the, the temple. So there was a temple in Jerusalem. And there was all of these religious, uh, religious uh, leaders and, and priests that would have served in the temple in Jerusalem. And when they weren't serving in the temple, they were living in Jericho. And so it's estimated that there was about 12,000 priests who would have lived in Jericho. So I just want you to get this picture in your mind. It was a very, very, very religious place, very religious, full of priests who would have lived there. And I think that's important. Okay, so keep that in your mind. So the Bible's gonna say, Jesus entered Jericho, and notice this, and the Bible tells us that he was just passing through. He was just passing through. Now, I think, again, I think that's actually really important. Notice the Bible tells us it was not Jesus's original plan to stay. He was passing through. 
right? He was just going through. Now, where was he going? Well, if you've been with us in the series, you might remember he's headed to Jerusalem. We're told that. We're told that Jesus resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem. He had a destination in mind. He was going somewhere. And so he is passing through Jericho. That's what the Bible tells us. And so as Jesus is passing through, no plans to stay, what happens? Well, look what the Bible says, verse two. There was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. So there he is. And he was a chief tax collector and he was very wealthy. He was wealthy. So um, notice we're introduced to Zacchaeus here and we're actually gonna learn a lot about this guy. But right out of the gate, there's a couple of things you might notice that um, Luke tells us. It tells us that Zacchaeus was, he was wealthy and he was a tax collector. But not just any tax collector. The Bible tells us that he was a chief tax collector. Now, what does that tell us about Zacchaeus? Well, most likely what that would have meant was two things. Actually, most certainly what it, meant, what it would have meant was two things. It meant, first off, that Zacchaeus was incredibly wealthy. I mean, incredibly. Tax collectors were already wealthy. If you were a chief tax collector, you were mega wealthy. And so basically, the way it kind of worked back in this time, and not exactly like this, but basically, if you were a chief tax collector, it kind of worked like a pyramid scheme. And so Zacchaeus would have had, he would have been a tax collector who had tax collectors underneath him, who had tax collectors underneath them. And he would have got a percentage of all that they made. And so he was unbelievably, uh, just mega, mega wealthy. But on top of that, we also know that because he was the chief tax collector, he also would have been not just incredibly wealthy, he also would have been incredibly despised, um, specifically by the Jewish people. Now, Zacchaeus himself was a Jewish man. Uh, some of you might know um, that tax collectors had a really bad reputation back in this time among Jewish people. And again, that was actually for a couple of different reasons. And so first off, if you were a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector, you would have been viewed as a traitor and a crook. And so you were a traitor because you worked for the hated Roman government. Uh, the Roman government treated the Jewish people terribly. And so if you were a Jewish person who worked for the Roman government, you were viewed as a traitor. And then in addition to that, he would have been considered a crook because he would have ripped off his own people. He would have, he would have uh, uh, charged incredible amounts of money to his own people so that he himself could become rich off of, off, of those, uh, off of the taxes that he was calling people into. And so he would have been considered someone who was very, very hated by his own people, so much so that the Jewish leaders and the priests would not have allowed him in the synagogue. He would have been excommunicated from worshiping in the synagogue. Uh, the religious people of his day would not eat with him. It was not, it, you were not allowed to eat with tax collectors and sinners. You weren't allowed to associate with them. And so I just want you to get this picture in your mind, okay? Zacchaeus lives in Jericho. Jericho is a city of about 12,000 priests. He is a chief tax collector. Here's the point. He was the most canceled person in his town. He would have been. And so look what the Bible goes on to say. The Bible tells us about Zacchaeus, and then it says, he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was vertically challenged, can I get an amen from anybody out there? Right. It's my, my people right there. Um, he could not see over the crowd. Now, I want you to notice again here, the Bible's gonna tell us that Zacchaeus had a desire, and he wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus. I actually like the way some translations put it. If you have the ESV, it says that he was seeking to see Jesus. He was seeking Jesus. One translation says it this way. He was desperate. He desperately wanted to see Jesus. And uh, I think it's really interesting that here's Zacchaeus, who is someone who's ostracized by the religious community. And this rabbi is coming through town and he just really wants to see Jesus. He's desperate to see Jesus. And the question that was spinning in my mind was why was it that he was so desperate? 
to see Jesus? What was it about Jesus that he was so desperate to see? And of course, we don't actually know. Uh, The Bible doesn't actually tell us, but if I could just speculate, part of what went through my mind was I couldn't help but wonder if maybe, maybe even though Zacchaeus had heaps of money and even though Zacchaeus had climbed the top of whatever ladder it was that he was climbing in his industry, and even though from a worldly vantage point, he had everything that you could imagine, you can't help but wonder if maybe Zacchaeus was aware that there was an insatiable void that was still in his heart. Maybe, just maybe, he was hoping that if he could get a glimpse of Jesus, or maybe if he could hear from Jesus, maybe he could seek some better solutions to the deeper questions that were lingering in his heart. And I don't know if that was the case, but the reason I'm speculating that is because that seems like it's a pretty common story. It's a pretty common story. So he's desperate to see Jesus. And I think the next verse actually tells us how eager he actually was. Because look what the Bible says. Look what lengths he was willing to go. The Bible says, so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So the Bible tells us this is kind of the famous part of the story, right? He climbs up a sycamore fig tree. Now, I don't know about you, but ever since I, uh, I, I learned that song that we sang at the beginning, I've always wondered what a sycamore fig tree even looked like. And so I thought I'd show you a picture. This is actually a sycamore fig tree in Jericho. Uh, you can actually visit this. It's called Zacchaeus's tree. And I guarantee that is not the tree that Zacchaeus would have climbed. <laughs> but they have somehow made it into a tourist trapped. And so you can go there. But that's what it would have looked like. And here's what I want you to notice. For Zacchaeus to climb this tree... Uh, I want you to see that, that that actually shows how eager he actually was to see Jesus. Uh, notice what the Bible says. The Bible says that he ran ahead and he climbed a tree. Now, again, the reason that's so important is because back in the first century, uh, for a Jewish man to run and for a Jewish man to climb would have been considered something that was very undignified. And so there's actually Jewish writings that talk about this, about how dignified Jewish men don't run because that's what children do. They don't climb because that's something that children do. So I think this just reveals to us that Zacchaeus shamelessly wanted to see Jesus, right? I mean, even in our society, if you think about it, it's, I mean, it's a different society, but it's still a little bit awkward if a grown man is climbing a tree. And it's even a little bit more awkward if a grown man is climbing a tree wearing the things that they wore in the first century, right? That makes it even more awkward. And yet he was, he wanted to, he wanted to see Jesus. And can I tell you something else about this? As we look at these verses, can I tell you something I found very thought provoking? Do you notice in this passage, Jesus, you know, Zacchaeus is eager to see Jesus. Do you notice in this passage what it was that was actually blocking Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus, from meeting Jesus? What was it that was keeping him from seeing and and meeting Jesus? It's interesting. If you look at it, the Bible's going to tell us exactly. It was the crowd. It was the crowd. Now, I don't know if Luke is doing this intentionally. I don't know if this is the point that he's trying to make. But I can tell you, I think this is deeply applicable. Sometimes uh, what I have found is that for those who are seeking Jesus, for those who are pursuing Jesus and trying to gain clarity, the thing that most keeps them from seeing Jesus is the Jesus crowd. And I don't know if Luke is intentionally doing that, but I can tell you, I think that's deeply applicable. Maybe for some of you who are even here today, maybe you're someone who would say that you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're investigating Christ. Maybe you're seeking him. Maybe you're looking for answers in life. And so that's what drew you here. And that's what drew you to us here online. And you know, I hate to say this as a pastor, but I think it's true. Is that sometimes, maybe you feel this way. Maybe you are someone who is intrigued by Jesus. Maybe you are someone who's even captivated by Jesus. You're interested in Jesus. But the thing that has been keeping you 
from embracing a relationship with Christ, the thing that's been keeping you from, from really pursuing Jesus is that there are, there are people in your life who claim to follow Jesus, who are moralistic and self-righteous and hypocritical and all of those things. And maybe you have felt that and you have felt that. And that has been the very thing that has kept you from Jesus is the Jesus crowd. And you know, I, I, I just gotta say that unfortunately, that if that is you, I don't think you're entirely unjustified to feel that way. I don't think you are. Because unfortunately, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes those of us who follow Jesus, myself included, you know, we claim a message that is full of grace. And we claim a message that is full of truth. And we claim a message that is 100% both, grace and truth. And yet many times we fail to demonstrate and live up to the very message that we proclaim. And I wish it wasn't that way. And I wish I wasn't that way sometimes. But the truth is, sometimes it is that way. And so if you're a person who's truly and genuinely investigating and seeking Jesus, can I just encourage you maybe even to consider doing what Zacchaeus did? And what's that? Sometimes I think you have to be willing to get over the crowd to actually see who Jesus clearly is. And you might be asking, how do I do that? How do I clearly see who Jesus is? And I think the answer is you have to go right to the text. You gotta go right to the Gospel of Luke, a first century account. Look at Jesus. Look at what he said, not what everyone else is saying who follows him. Look at what he said. Look at what he did. Look at how he interacted with people. Just gaze upon who he is, and I think that'd be, that that's something that helps us see him more clearly. And so Zacchaeus can't see over the crowd. He gets up on a tree, and then look at this next thing that happens next. The Bible says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Now, I, I gotta tell you, I don't know how this all looked, but I love the way it looks in my mind. Um, I, here's how I imagine it. I imagine that Jesus, so the Bible tells us he's got this massive crowd around him, and he's heading through, Jerusalem, or, uh, through, uh, through Jericho. So he's, he's not planning to stay, so he's moving. So I imagine there's this big mass of a crowd that's moving. Zacchaeus is up in a tree, and the Bible says as Jesus reached the spot, so this big mass is moving through Jericho, and as he sees, he sees Zacchaeus up in a tree, and the first thing he says is he says, Zacchaeus, get down now. Come down immediately. And I don't know how Jesus said it, but I can't help but wonder what the crowd was thinking at that point. You wonder if they were thinking, you know, Jesus sees Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus up in a tree and he goes, hey, you, get down now. And you can't help but wonder if the crowd was like, oh, man. <laughs> Jesus is gonna tell him what's up. We all know Zacchaeus. We know he's a crook. We know he's a traitor. We know he's a sinner. Here comes Jesus, and he's like, Zacchaeus, get down now. And, and then what Jesus goes on to say next would have absolutely shocked everybody. Look what he says. He says, come down immediately. I must, I love that. I must, it is essential, it is imperative that I stay at your house today. Zacchaeus, Get down from the tree. We need to get dinner stat. You and me, we're hanging out at your house. That's what we're doing. Man, how scandalous. And some of you might be reading this. You might be thinking, no, hold on a minute. Wait, 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 wait. I thought Jesus was just passing through. What do you mean he's gonna stay at his house? That wasn't on the agenda. That wasn't part, Jesus, we gotta get to Jerusalem. Well, apparently Jesus had a change of plans. Apparently, there was another agenda that was underneath Jesus' agenda that was driving him in that moment to say, it is essential that I am with you today. 
It's essential. I must be with you today. And I also want you to notice when you look at this, it's just interesting. He's passing through. But did you also notice that when Jesus saw Zacchaeus, that he knew his name? When he sees Zacchaeus, he wasn't like, who's that guy on a tree? He's like, no, Zacchaeus, I know who you are. And of course, you know, as I was studying this, I couldn't help but think to myself, how did Jesus know who he was? How did Jesus know? And, you know, I kind of thought, well, maybe it's just because, you know, he's Jesus and he's the son of God. And so maybe he was just like Zacchaeus. I know everything about you, you know. Or maybe, maybe it's possible that Zacchaeus was just that notorious, that he was that well known of a sinner, that when he saw him, he's like, oh, yeah, I know you. But either way, here's the point. When Jesus saw Zacchaeus, he knew, he, he knew who he was. He knew exactly who Zacchaeus was. He knew what he had done. He knew his reputation. He knew all the things, all the ways that he had cheated. Jesus knew all of it. And yet, what does Jesus say? I want to come to your house and I want to have dinner. Can I just tell you, you guys, I think there's something very instructive for those of us who follow Jesus right here. I think there's something very instructive. Do you notice that when Jesus encounters Zacchaeus, he does not begin with a message of condemnation? He begins with a dinner invitation. That's where he starts. I think that's very instructive. Where do we start with people? People that we disagree with, people who are on different sides of an issue, people who we look at and say they are sinners. Where do we start? Do we start with a message of condemnation? Do we start with a message of disapproval and disagreement? Or do we start with a dinner invitation? She says, we're coming to your house. And then check this out. So Zacchaeus came down immediately and he welcomed him gladly. I love that. The Bible says Zacchaeus was full of gladness. Now, why was he so excited to have Jesus over at his place, right? I don't know about you, but I've never had someone say, I'm coming over to your house today. And I was like, I'm excited about that. Usually I'm like, who do you think you are? <laughs> Just inviting yourself. But he was excited. Why was he so glad? And I'll tell you why. Because for Jesus, for Jesus to hang out with Zacchaeus, for Jesus to eat a meal with Zacchaeus, that would have, that would have, that would have violated every cultural boundary. You don't eat with tax collectors. You don't eat with sinners. And, and Zacchaeus lived in a town that was full of priests. So here's the point. Nobody ate with Zacchaeus. Nobody came to his house. Nobody would even touch him with a 10-foot pole. You guys have any idea how that must have felt? Maybe you felt like that before. And then Jesus comes into town. Jesus, who is maybe the most famous and popular rabbi of that moment. And he points out of the whole crowd, he points at the one guy. And he says, I want to come to your house today. I want to come. Can you imagine how that must have felt? Zacchaeus was so glad, and he, he took Jesus home with him. And so it's no wonder, as scandalous as this is, that the crowd would respond the way they did. The Bible says the crowd, all the people saw this, and they began to mutter, mutter. And they're always doing that, the crowd. He has gone to be a guest of a sinner. I actually really like the way uh, the message, if you guys aren't familiar with the message, the message is a paraphrase of the Bible. Um, and I actually really like the way it captures this scene. I'll, I'll read it to you. Here's what the message says. The message says, uh, when Jesus got to the tree, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Today is my day to be a guest in your home. So Zacchaeus scrambled out of the tree. I like that. I don't know why. I just think of like a, a chipmunk, like scurrying down a tree. <laughs> He's like, he scrambled out of the tree, hardly believing his good luck. And he was delighted to take Jesus home with him. But everyone who saw the incident was indignant and they grumped. I like that. They grumped. What business does he have getting cozy with this crook? And I just, I just think that captures it well. But here's what I love is even though the crowds are muttering, even though they're grumping about what Jesus is doing, it does not keep Jesus 
from being with Zacchaeus. It doesn't keep him from that. Now, I got to tell you what happens next in this next verse, I think is so breathtaking. And I don't know when this next part happened. I don't know if it happened before dinner. I don't know if it happened mid-dinner. I don't know if it happened after dinner. I don't know if it happened after a couple of minutes with being Jesus or after a couple of hours of being with Jesus. But I think this next part is so breathtaking. Look what the Bible says. It says, Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Because I want you to catch what just happened here. Zacchaeus goes from being a traitor and a crook, a lifetime of living this way, in this moment, suddenly saying, I want to give my stuff to the poor and I want to make everything right. Here's a question when I was reading this. What in the world happened to him? Do you see that it took, it took one dinner, it took one experience, it took one encounter with Jesus to absolutely soften and transform his heart? You guys, I think this is so important. A lifetime of the law, a lifetime of religion could not do what one experience with Jesus Christ could do. One experience of his grace and his generosity and his love could transform more than a lifetime of religion could do. And I love it. You look in this moment, the Bible's gonna say Zacchaeus goes from being this crook to being this generous person who wants to make things right. You notice this. In fact, I think this is interesting. I never knew this before. Did you know church historians will say that Zacchaeus actually went on to be a very prominent leader in the early church? And the question is, what in the world happened to him? What happened? And I'll tell you what happened. And this is why I think that this account is so important. I think that what this reveals to us is it reveals the order in which the gospel operates. I think that this reveals the order of salvation, the order in which transformation takes place. And what is the order? Well, think about it like this. When Jesus saw Zacchaeus, he didn't say to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, I know who you are. Zacchaeus, I know what you've done. Zacchaeus, I know how you've cheated people. And so if you will make things right, Zacchaeus, if you will clean up your life, Zacchaeus, if you will sanitize a little bit, then you can come and hang out with me. Then I will come to your house and I'll hang out. That's not how it works. It's the wrong order. How does it work? Jesus says, I know who you are. I know what you've done. I know how you've cheated people. And I want to come over today. And then the transformation happens. Zacchaeus experiences the radical grace and generosity and hospitality. He is the recipient of the love of Christ, and that is what transformed him. And you guys, I believe that is the order in which true transformation takes place. You don't clean yourself up first. Jesus comes and meets you and transforms you, and that changes you. I also want you to notice, not only does this show us the order in which grace operates, I think it also shows us the extent to which grace transforms. Do you guys notice what Zacchaeus says? He says, look, Lord, I'm gonna give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have wronged anyone, I'm gonna pay him back four times the amount. Now, what is he saying here? Well, I want you to think about this. All right? Zacchaeus was a Jewish man. He would have certainly have been well acquainted with the Old Testament law. And do you know what the Old Testament law said? The Old Testament law said that if you're a Jewish person, that you should give 10% of your income to the poor and to the needy and to charity. What's Zacchaeus saying? 50%. I'll give 50. What is he doing here? I call this gospel math. He's saying beyond the law. Notice what he says. If I've wronged anyone, I'll pay back four times the amount. There was a law in the Old Testament called restitution. Restitution basically said this. If you wrong someone, you pay them back plus 
That's what restitution is. Zacchaeus says 400%, 400%. What is happening? I think here's what happens. When you experience the grace and generosity of Jesus and that transforms you, it does what the law can't do. And you begin to be a person who then extends the same grace and generosity of which you were a recipient of. And Jesus sees all this. And what does Jesus call this? I want you to notice this. This is fascinating. Jesus sees this and he calls this salvation. He says, today, salvation has come to this house. Now, I think that's so important because what it reveals to us is the nature of what it means to be saved. You guys have probably heard that term before. Are you saved? People are saved. I think this shows us the nature of salvation. What does it mean to be saved? Well, I think it's this. I think salvation is a sinner embracing and receiving the radical grace and love and generosity of Jesus and allowing that to transform them from the inside out. Jesus calls it salvation. And then he says the statement, for the reason the Son of Man has come, the agenda that I have come is to seek and to save and to save all who are lost, who are disconnected from God. And I think this is so clarifying to us because what it shows us is that the agenda of Jesus, Jesus didn't come to seek and destroy the sinner. Not like the religious people had maybe hoped. That's not why he came. Jesus didn't come to seek and sanitize the saints. He didn't come just to give us a list of behaviors and and morals that we should live by so that we can be part of a club. That's not why he came. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost and to reconnect them back to God. And so this is the agenda of Jesus. And I think that leads to the second question. And that's just this. What are the implications of that for us? For all of us in this room, what are the implications if Jesus has come to seek and save the lost? And I actually thought maybe the best way for us to think through some of the implications would be to ask some reflection questions. So I wanna ask you a few questions in light of what we just read to think about. Here's the first one. I think this text causes us to ask the question and to examine our own agenda. What is your agenda? What is our agenda? What are your agendas? Maybe there's plural. I think we need to ask, what what are our plans and what drives the plans that we make? I think we need to look at that because here's the truth. The agenda or agendas that we have within us will often determine and dictate the way that we view the people around us and the way we view the circumstances around us. I think the question for those of us who follow Jesus, I think the question we need to ask is this. For those who follow Christ, will we follow him? Will we follow him into this agenda? We follow him into the agenda that he still has. You know, it's actually really interesting. Uh, this past week, I was uh, part of a, an equipping division class uh, here that we offer. And one of the teachers of the equipping division class, her name's Tracy, she actually brought something up in that class that I thought was so, I just thought it was so uh, on point with what we're talking about here today. And she uh, was reminding me of in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we see articulated the agenda that Jesus is inviting his people into, those who follow him. So here's what 2 Corinthians 5 says. It says, for Christ's love compels us. Those of us who follow him. See, it's, it's the love of Christ. It's the grace of God that compels us. He says, so from now on, look at this. We don't view anyone from a worldly point of view. So do you see that? The agenda that I have is going to impact the way that I see the people around me. So I no longer view them from a worldly point of view. God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, has given us, to those who follow him, the ministry of reconciliation. He has given us the ministry of that God was reconciling to the world himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message, the message of reconciliation. 
So we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, ambassadors on behalf of Christ, imploring people to be reconciled to God. He is still seeking and saving the lost, and he has invited us into that. You guys, you know, I think this really, the agenda we have really impacts the way that we view people. You know, you think about Zacchaeus, you know, if you're just to think about him, I actually got a picture of Zacchaeus here for us. Um, If you think about Zacchaeus, this is actually a photograph of him. Um, You know, you start to ask the question, how did the crowds view him? How did they see Zacchaeus? I think it's very clear that they saw him through a certain grid. And it was a worldly vantage point. It was the agenda in which they saw him through. For a lot of people, when they saw Zacchaeus, what they saw was they saw that he was a wealthy tax collector. They saw that he was a cheat. He got, he got rich off of exploiting people. What they also saw was they saw a traitor. That's what they saw when they saw Zacchaeus. So that's probably the best way I could depict that. And um, yeah, that's true. Uh, and then when they saw him, they saw a sinner. They saw, they saw someone who is not allowed to be in the temple, who is not allowed to be a part of the synagogue. That's what they saw when they saw Zacchaeus. But you see, when Jesus, Jesus was on a different agenda. His agenda was to seek and save that which is lost. And so when Jesus saw Zacchaeus, what did he see? Well, yeah, he saw all of that. But he saw beyond all of that. He was able to see that behind all of that was a human being who is created in the image of God, who is dearly loved by God, and his greatest need was that he was lost and he needed to be reconnected with his creator. That was the agenda that Jesus was on. So much so that when he he was passing, passing through Jericho, he's seeking and saving the lost. He goes, oh, there's one in a tree. So the plans change. I have to stay here today because I see Zacchaeus. Now, I think what this forces us to ask, for those of us who follow Jesus, is how do we view people? You know, when we think about the people in our lives, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, even our enemies, when we view them, what do we see? What do we see? It's so easy for us to view people and evaluate them from an earthly vantage point. We can look at people and we can evaluate them by the kind of clothes they wear, right? And so we can categorize people that way. When we look at people, sometimes we can evaluate them by the kind of job or education that they have. And so we can start to categorize people and and evaluate them from that viewpoint. Sometimes when we look at people, we tend to think of them through the grid of certain ideologies. We look at them through the lens of certain agendas and that dictates the way that we view people. It does. And here's what I think that the Bible's telling us is for those of us who follow Christ, we don't look at people from an earthly vantage point. Yes, we see those things, but we see beyond those things. And what do we see? We see a human being who is created in the image of God, who is dearly loved, and the greatest need is to be reconnected to their, to their, to their creator. Do we see that? Is, that? is that even in the back of our minds as the agenda in which we view people? When we look at our calendars, what do you see when you look at your calendar? You see the next thing that you have to be at? You see the next event? Man, I'm, I'll tell you, I'm just confessing, I'm the worst at this. I am so driven by my calendar. But do I see that behind all of those things, there is an agenda that God is on in this world? He is seeking and saving that which is lost. Is it possible that sometimes we are so fixed on making sure that we get to our lunch appointment on time or that we get to the restaurant on time or that we get out of church in time that we might walk right past a person in the cafe who is hurting and is looking for hope? Is it possible that we're so concerned about the server at the restaurant getting our order right that we don't even see the soul that's behind the name tag? Jesus is on an agenda. And I wanna tell you, he is still on this agenda to seek and save that which is lost. I want to tell you guys this quick story, 
and I really deliberated whether I would share this with you or not because it's kind of a wild story, but I think it really makes the point well. This is actually something that happened to me years ago, and I don't know if it ever became more clear to me that Jesus Christ is still on the mission of seeking and saving the lost than this, than this one event that happened. And so years ago, I actually was about 19 or 20 years old at the time. I was a relatively new Christian, 19 or 20 years old, and I had spent the whole summer serving uh, with high school students, doing ministry with high school students. And so I, I just remember I was really, 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 really fired up about Jesus. Just maybe, maybe even to the place where I was becoming annoying to some people because I just would not stop talking about Jesus. So fired up. And I remember I was on my way home from this ministry thing that I was doing and my friend and I were riding a bus and we were, we were headed home as a bus across the country. And as we were driving on the bus, my friend and I, who were all jacked up about Jesus, uh, this bus we were on broke down kind of unexpectedly and, and kind of unexplainedly just broke down in the middle of Shipshawana, Indiana. Any of you guys ever been to Shipshawana, Indiana? All right, yeah, it's like, it's like a big Amish town. You can buy furniture and really good food there. So the bus breaks down in Shipshawana, Indiana, and everyone that's on the bus is annoyed because, you know, we, we have places to go. We got things to do. And the bus driver, after looking at the bus, finally says to us, he says, listen, there's some issue. We're having mechanics to come out and take a look at it right now, but it might take an hour or more to resolve it. And so you guys have, if you don't mind just walking around Shipshawana, you can walk around until we get the bus fixed. So most people are annoyed, and I was kind of annoyed too, but my friend and I, like I said, we were so, we were so fired up about Jesus. And I remember we were like, well, maybe there's someone we can talk to about Jesus. We had already talked, tried to talk to the people on the bus, and a lot of them didn't want to hear it, and so we wanted to respect that. And so we went out, my friend and I, and we went to this Amish ice cream store. And we decided to go there because, um, well, because Amish ice cream is amazing. And uh, so we're like, let's go get some. And so we, we, went, we waited in line. And as we were waiting in line, there was this girl who was serving ice cream behind the counter. She's about my age, and she was an Amish girl. And like I said, my friend and I, we were like, we just want to tell, we are so fired up about, we want to tell people about Jesus. And so I remember we were kind of like, we, we, we should talk to her about Jesus. We should do it. So we ordered ice cream. And um, I just want to say, um, I don't necessarily recommend ever doing this. This is probably the worst way to start a conversation with someone about God. But I was, so I told her, I just said, thanks for the ice cream. I said, hey, real quick, me and my friend are all fired up about Jesus. And then I said, and this, I think I said something like this, and I can't remember, but it's still a little cringeworthy in my mind. But I think what I said to her is I said, if you were gonna die today, and I know, I know, I know, don't do that. That's a terrible way to lead. But I just said, we're all fired up about Jesus. I said, if you were to die today, do you know if you would be with God for eternity? Do you know that? And basically I said, I kind of stammered my way through it. I just said, basically, it's just like, are you saved? Do you know, are you saved? And this girl behind the counter, she stares at my friend and I for a second, and after a couple minutes of not saying, after a couple moments of not saying anything, she looks at us and she says, can you guys go sit at that table over there? And my buddy and I were like, sure, you know. So we went and sat at this table. A couple minutes go by and we don't see her. And after a few more minutes, she comes out and she comes to our table. And she says, um, I'm on break. She said, I, after you guys asked me that question, I needed to ask my manager if I could go on break. And she says, I need to, I need to talk to you guys. And she said, first off, she said, who told you about me? And we were like, nobody, I don't know. We just, we're just here. And she said, and then she said, um, did somebody, she said, did somebody, uh, I don't know, she said, how did you find me? <laughs> we were like, 
I don't, we weren't looking for you, you know? And then she said, how did you get here? And we're like, bus broke down. We walked over here. And she goes, she goes, I have to tell you this. I'll tell you, this is the craziest thing. She goes, I have to tell you this. She said, this morning, I woke up and I went to my bicycle to, to ride my bike to work. And she said, on the bicycle seat, someone had put a pamphlet on her bike. And she said, on the front of that pamphlet was the question that you asked me, very question. And she said, and it might have been one of the first times that I really started to get scared because I started to question my relationship with God. And she said, I started to ask the question, am I saved? And so she said, so I prayed. And I said, God, if you can help me find clarity to this question, can you send somebody? And so when she said it, guys, I'm telling you, I got chills all over the place. And quite honestly, I was, I was scared. I was like, What? And then she looked at us and she said, so are you the guys that God has sent for me? And I was like. <laughs> my friend and I just looked at each other and we're like, yeah, that's, that's us. That's why we're, I, I was like, I think so. I think so, you know? And, and basically we got, we got the Bible with her and her big hangup was a lot like Zacchaeus, I think. Her big hangup was she felt like she just wasn't good enough. She wasn't doing enough. And we got to explain to her, that's not how grace works. Grace doesn't work that way. It operates different. You're transformed by the love of Jesus. And that's what transforms you and changes you. Man, she prayed with us that day. We actually stayed in contact with her for about two or three years afterwards through snail mail. I still remember her name. Her name was Melissa Weaver. And we were pen pals for a while. She ended up getting connected to a church. Here's my point. My point is this. I don't know if I've ever seen more clearly. I don't know if it's ever been more evident to me that Jesus Christ is still on this mission. This is still his agenda. He will seek and save the lost. How committed is he to that agenda? Man, he will break down a bus in Shipshawana, Indiana and send two idiots <laughs> who have an imperfect message, but listen, are willing. He says, who do I have that'll go for me? Those two diphthongs will go. <laughs> send them with this, this imperfect message. And yet, how much does God love? How much does he love? He is on a mission in this world. And I think the question it would cause me to ask is, he's on this agenda. Am I? Am I? Because then I remember thinking, is this what you're doing all the time? And maybe I'm just not seeing it. I think it caused us to ask that question. I think it caused us to ask this question. For those who are part of the Jesus crowd, is there anything that we do that makes it difficult for people to come to Jesus? You guys, I think for those of us who follow Christ, we gotta be really honest about this and we have to look in the mirror. Are there other agendas that we are so committed to that it is clouding, it is blocking people from their true need to be reconnected to their savior? You know, if you guys want some practicality, some of you are like, can you make this practical? Sure, here's something very practical for you. In light of what we just read, what about this? What if you pick the person who is the most opposed to you, the person who you disagreed with the most, and what if you ask them to dinner? What if rather than coming with a message of opposition or condemnation, you started with a dinner invitation? If you wanna be really bold about it, you could do what Jesus did. You could say, hey, I wanna invite myself to your house for dinner. You could do that, but I just think, I think that'd be a great starting place. Then lastly, the last question, and with this, I'll invite the band to come up. I think the most important question, for some of you, do you feel lost here this morning? Or do you feel like you're in need of forgiveness? You know, for some of you who are here today or who are watching online, the person that you most resonate with in this story is Zacchaeus. And maybe for you this morning, 
you feel like, maybe you resonate, you feel like you're a person who maybe from an earthly vantage point, you've accumulated a lot of success. Maybe you've even climbed a lot of ladders and maybe everything from the outward looks great, but inwardly, you know there's an insatiable desire inside of you and you're looking for answers. Maybe that's the reason that you're actually here. You would never step foot into a church, but you're here because you're actually wondering if Jesus has anything to offer. You're wondering if there's something that can maybe, that can maybe address that insatiable desire that's inside of you, that void. Or maybe, like Zacchaeus, some of you here, you feel like you're unforgivable. You feel like you've gone too far and you've sinned too much. Some of you might be thinking, man, if you knew the kind of person I am, if you know the things that I've done, if you've known the places that I've been, if you even know the thoughts that I've had, even the places I've been this week, you would know that I am, I am, I am, I am in no way a candidate to be a Jesus follower. And I just want you to take cues from Zacchaeus. Jesus doesn't say, clean up your life first. He says, today, today, you start with me and you let me transform you from the inside out. And I just wanna say, if that's you, I am so excited you're here because I believe that Jesus in his loving kindness and in his sovereignty has brought you here so that you could hear this message, so that you could hear Revelation chapter three. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. And they will, you see this? The very same invitation that Jesus gave to Zacchaeus, he gives to you. It is on offer to you. And I think the answer is, if you're looking, if you've never embraced Jesus, you might be asking, how do you do that? I think it's this. I think it's simple. I think you just call out to him. I think you just say yes to him. I don't even know if there's a special prayer or there's some kind of magic thing to it. I think you just have a willingness to say, yes, I wanna let you in my life. I wanna let you define me and direct me. And for some of you, you can do that right now. And you can do that right here. You can just talk to him from your heart to his. Make the lyrics to the songs that we're gonna sing, the prayers that you bring to Jesus. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, I wanna say thank you that you still are seeking and saving the lost. Thank you that the reason that the Son of Man has come is to seek and save that which is lost, like me, like us. And God, I pray that you'd help those of us who follow you to follow you in this agenda. Lord, help us to lay aside all other agendas uh, to let them become subservient to this one agenda. And Father, I ask for those maybe who are seeking you today. I pray that they would come to see that you did not come to seek and destroy the sinner. And you did not come to seek and sanitize the saints. You have come to seek and save those who are lost. And so for the lost, for the hurting, and the person who knows in their heart they need forgiveness, I pray that they would come to you and find the grace, the unexpected grace that is met in you. So Father, we ask these things and we lift them up to you in Jesus' name.